Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. If there were a natural disaster and there were untrue statements circulating on social media that were damaging to the public interest, the government would be powerless under the injunction. Well, it's up to the people to determine what is and isn't true. The federal government, if they don't like what's being said on social media, should offer a counter view, not suppress the speech. Missouri's Attorney General is at the center of a landmark dispute over how the federal government can interact with social media platforms. Missouri versus Biden was heard by a panel of appeals court judges earlier this month, and Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey is arguing that the judges should keep in place a lower court's ruling that restricts federal employees from trying to get companies like Facebook and YouTube to take down content. Much of the dispute centers on how federal officials try to get posts taken down related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And while some have defended those actions as a way to combat what they see as deadly misinformation, Bailey and other Republicans view them as an issue of powerful government actors trying to snuff out free speech. Yesterday, Bailey spoke with St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum about why Missouri is taking on this case and whether a successful outcome could have unintended consequences. Here's Jason. You have said that what is at play with Missouri versus Biden are some of the worst First Amendment violations in the nation's history. Now, there have been a lot of First Amendment violations over the years. Why do you think the instances within the Missouri versus Biden case rise to such an egregious level? Because they're done at the demand of a federal government and a, a bureaucratic apparatus that's unaccountable to the electorate. I would also point out that the breadth and scope of the violations is extreme, and it's entirely viewpoint discrimination. Uh, I also have deep concerns that the nature of the censorship that was going on back in 21 has evolved, that it, it grew so rapidly that the federal government had to develop a bureaucratic apparatus to manage it. And it's spread beyond just topics related to COVID to other topics. The fact that the Department of Justice is appealing the trial court order, which merely said that the government was prevented from violating the First Amendment, means that they're committed to future violations. In other interviews, you have talked about building a so-called wall between tech and speech. How would that wall operate in practice if you're ultimately victorious with Missouri versus Biden? Yeah, well, I think the wall of separation between tech and state is absolutely important to protect our right to free speech. Uh, you know, the, the whole purpose behind the, the First Amendment right to free speech is to invite dissent into a free, fair, and open marketplace of ideas uninhibited from government censorship. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act has been misinterpreted by the courts, and it's been used as both a sword and a shield by big tech social media corporations and allowed that monopoly to develop. So that marketplace is different because they're subject to the demands 
of the federal government because the federal government can wield uh, threat of repeal or amendment of 230 of the Communications Decency Act against big tech social media. So the marketplace operates differently. That's why the wall of separation is important, especially as we move into an election cycle next year. One of the issues at play during the Fifth Circuit's oral arguments is whether federal employees were threatening social media companies with tangible consequences if they didn't take a particular post down. And I'm going to play a clip now from an episode of St. Louis on the Air with Washington University law professor Greg McGarrian. You know, you get a call from the Biden administration, hey, we just wanted to let you know that we didn't like what you said the other day. Okay, you might have reason to feel like the government's exercising coercive pressure on you, because that would be a very unusual communication with a relatively weak, you know, ordinary person who's not in a great position to, to resist if there were to be coercion. That might chill speech. When we're talking about giant social media platforms, giant corporations, and the government says, hey, we're going to just tell you some of our concerns those social media platforms know if they're being threatened and if they're not being threatened. They know where the government is coming from. If the government is pushing them improperly, trying to coerce them, they're in a good position to fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, As far as I'm aware, there's not good evidence that that's what's been going on here. This is clearly going to be a big issue in how this 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 lawsuit is resolved. What were the tangible consequences that were promised to social media companies if they didn't take particular content down? Yeah, well, there's absolutely good evidence about the coercion and collusion from the federal government to big tech social media demanding censorship of speech. That's evidence we put on back in May at the hearing on the motion for preliminary injunction. The court weighed in determining whether or not to issue that preliminary injunction. And one of the things the district court determined was that we were likely to succeed on the merits based on the evidence that we did adduce at that hearing back in May. But I would point out that it, the, the evidence is, is that Joe Biden from the White House, from the stump and then the White House lawn, threatened uh, repeal or amendment of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act if big tech social media didn't increase their censorship. From the White House lawn, President Biden said that Facebook was killing people because they weren't censoring enough. Kamala Harris from the stump demanded repeal or amendment of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act if big tech social media didn't increase their censorship. Jen Psaki said that specific, from the White House podium said that specific demands were made and that they, the big tech understood the consequences if the demands weren't fulfilled. Certainly big tech understood that they were uh, submitting to the censorship demands of the White House and the federal government. And that's been revealed in Congressman Jordan's Facebook files that he released, where you can see the internal communications in Facebook, where Facebook officials are saying, hey, uh, the federal government is pushing us beyond our own internal censorship policies. So our policies wouldn't have censored the speech that the federal government is demanding we take down. And then they submitted to taking that down at the, at the demand of the federal government and even raised concerns that this would be violative of the First Amendment. So certainly the target of the, the, the coercion and collusion understood themselves to be uh, submitting to the demands of the federal government. The injunction from Judge Terry Doty says, among other things, because it's a long injunction, that a number of federal officials are barred from, quote, engaging in any communication of any kind with social media companies urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner for removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing, containing protected free speech. How would you best describe what constitutes protected free speech in that particular passage of the injunction? Yeah, it's core political spe- speech that is 
uh, detailed in the jurisprudence of the of the United States Supreme Court and the courts of appeals. I mean, there there's well settled case law on these issues, and so uh, it, the remedy in this in this nation for disfavored speech has always been counter speech, not government censorship. So when the federal government says, hey, the, the, the federal government's First Amendment rights are violated, that's not true at all. In fact, the contrary is true. The federal government, if they don't like what's being said on social media, should offer a counter view, not suppress the speech. Government censorship is counterproductive. Yeah, so, on top of being illegal. So much of this case is centered around social media posts around the COVID-19 pandemic, as you mentioned earlier. Now, Based on what you said about what constitutes protected speech, would a federal government official be barred from trying to get a post taken down that is clearly and unambiguously wrong? And I'm well aware that some of the COVID discourse was correct at one point and was wrong at another point. But when I say unambiguously wrong, I'm like the vaccine has microchips that allow the government to control your mind are you can catch COVID every 10 seconds. You're saying the government wouldn't be able to tell a social media company, take that stuff down, it's dangerous, and it's not true. What I'm saying is that the federal government can't coerce a third party to do what the government is prohibited from doing directly, and that core political speech is protected by the First Amendment. The the people are allowed to have bad ideas, and it's up to the rest of us to convince them of of the error of their ideas. It's not for the government to censor that speech. I think the reason I'm asking that question, which, you know, had outlandish examples in it to make a point, but it does seem like the crux of one of the arguments that was put forth by Department of Justice attorney Daniel Tenney, who argued the case before the Fifth Circuit. If there were a natural disaster and there were untrue statements circulating on social media that were damaging to the public interest, the government would be powerless under the injunction to discourage social media companies from further disseminating those incorrect statements. Now, I just want to note for our listeners that one of the judges clearly disagreed with Tenney's interpretation from that clip. But what would you say to the idea that this hamstrings federal officials from trying to stop legitimately false information that could do harm to people like the natural disaster example that he just put forward? Well, it's up to the people to determine what is and isn't true. And if the government wants to aid in that process, then the government can offer its own speech. They miss the remedy, as originally understood by the Founding Fathers, when crafting the First Amendment. I mean, the the government has the right to speak on its own. And the the remedy for disfavored speech in this nation has always been counter-speech, not government censorship. Government censorship is counterproductive. People cease to trust the government if they feel they can't say and hear things on their own. The government has an important role to play but it's not in, in, the, in the field of censorship. Now, before I ask my next question, and just to kind of go on that point, there's nothing that would stop, say, the press secretary for the president from going on X or Facebook or YouTube and, you know, saying this social media post by this person is incorrect and here's why. They're, you're basically saying that they can still do that. They can still do that regardless of, whether Missouri versus Biden ends up being successful. I, I, I just want to make that clear. Okay. So yeah, and I, I would point out that the, you know, the, the principle of free speech uninhibited by government censorship is timeless. It didn't matter that in the 1700s it was pamphlets, in the 1920s radio, in the 50s television, in the 90s internet, and now it's big tech social media. Uh, and, and let me also point out, too, that the right to free speech is not only inherent to 
the speaker, but the listeners as well. We, we mentioned that federal employees can combat speech with speech, but there has been kind of this idea, especially during the COVID era, that if there is a governmental employee that is speaking out, especially against somebody who is not an elected official, that may be a private citizen that just may have a large platform, the act of the federal government speaking out to them has a chilling effect and may in itself be a form of silencing or censorship. Uh, what do you think about that, given that you you acknowledge that this would not stop that type of governmental behavior? Government officials are not prohibited from advocating on behalf of their policy positions. What we're fighting against is government officials silencing speech in opposition to their policy positions. And I also just want to add, too, that there's nothing stopping a social media company from taking down content on their own volition without government coercion. Uh, I'll give another outlandish example. If Elon Musk sees all my tweets comparing him to the, the monorail guy from The Simpsons and says, I want to delete all of them and ban him from the platform, and there was no government coercion or collusion, as you said, He's all within his rights to do that. I want to make that clear in case people are wondering on that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the you know our lawsuit has clearly uncovered coercion and co- collusion from federal officials. That uh, and and again, I go back to the evidence that we put on twenty thousand pages of documents we've obtained in discovery, numerous depositions, and then corroborated by Congressman Jordan's release of the Facebook files, where we can show that we can establish that. Big tech social media was the federal government pushed big tech social media beyond big tech's own internal censorship policies. So this was at the demand of the federal government. It was not done on its own by big tech. You were a signatory to a letter denouncing Target for selling Pride Month merchandise. And the letter, which was spearheaded by the Indiana attorney general, including included contentions that some of what they were doing may violate some laws. What would you say to people who who hear what you've been saying on Missouri versus Biden and talking about free speech and see what you're doing there and may think there's a disconnect between the two? That letter had nothing to do with demanding that big tech social media take down posts or, or speech. So they're, they're two completely different topics. I want Missouri to be the safest state in the nation for children. I think parents have a right to have conversations with their children about cultural topics uh, at a time and place of their choosing and, and consistent with that family's values. And when Target peddles smut merchandise under this cloak of diversity, I think that they uh, mischaracterize the nature of the products that, that they were selling. I'm definitely saying that you're allowed to say that and say, this is bad and you know don't shop at Target as an elected official. It's the question about like, potentially violating obscenity laws that I think caught people's attention. Is, is it possible that you can argue against what Target is doing without mentioning that they may be up running afoul of, of a law, which I'm sure that they would highly dispute in this instance? Well, the, the difference there is between protected core political speech and obscenity that is uh, not protected speech. What do you think is at stake for, for in the outcome of Missouri versus Biden? Free speech in America. Are we going to live in a world where the legacy of freedom enshrined in our Constitution and handed down by previous generations is cast aside in favor of government censorship? Do you have any idea of when they're going to decide 
on, on uh, the appeals court is going to decide whether to withhold uh, uphold the preliminary injunction at all. We anticipate and are hopeful that the three-judge panel at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals will hand down its decision within the next 30 days. And, and I, I would imagine this is probably going to the Supreme Court either way. That is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I think that, that you know, again, when you you've we've uncovered the worst First Amendment violations in this nation's history, this eventually ends up at the highest court in the land. And, and you know, I think that uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch telegraphed his anticipation of the case coming to the highest court back in May when he issued his opinion in Arizona v. Mayorkas and opined that it seemed likely that uh, big tech, that the government had uh, colluded with big tech social media to, to silence voices in opposition. That was Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey talking with St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Bailey was discussing a lawsuit involving federal government efforts to get social media posts taken down. You can read more about this topic at stlpr.org. This episode was produced by our executive producer, Alex Hoyer. Recorded by Jason Rosenbaum. Audio engineering support and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.